0: Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sydney and our live stream. Happy Easter to you. Resurrection Sunday is just a beautiful time to remember our Savior Jesus Christ and how He died for our sins, how He rose according to the Scriptures, how He is in heaven, in heaven at the moment, interceding on our behalf, and what, uh, what a joy we have to know Him and to walk with Him and to be empowered by Him. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 28, and uh, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for your goodness and for Jesus, who is our Savior and our King, our great High Priest. And I pray, Lord, you give us understanding of your word today, that we draw near to you, that we would rejoice and celebrate in what Jesus has done. And we praise and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 and 2. He wrote, To everything there is a season a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted. And when there are tragedies, when there are difficulties involving death, um, even though there may be a purpose in it, it doesn't eliminate our feelings of grief. Like there's things we can't understand. And the disciples, they knew God was good. They knew he was righteous, but the death of Christ, it shocked them. Um, they were filled with sorrow. They had all these hopes that Jesus was going to be, he was the Messiah, and he was the one that God chose to uh, establish his kingdom here on earth. And Jesus had told them a grain of wheat needs to die, and it needs to be planted before it can grow into a great crop. But they didn't realize that he was speaking about himself, that he meant it literally, that he was going to die, that he was going to be buried, but then he would be raised from the dead. He would rise from the dead, overpowering death. It's like one day they're feasting, they're praising God. They had gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover feast and the the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but then one of the disciples betrayed Jesus. He was arrested, he was tortured. He was crucified. And they were filled with fear and confusion and regrets. And and all their hopes and dreams were dashed in a moment. And they just didn't know what to do. But praise God, he is as good as his word. The one who said, let there be light, he rose from the dead. And on that Easter morning 2,000 years ago, he proved his power over sin, over death, and that he is able to give us the eternal life he promised through grace by grace through faith. So it's a day of celebration, a day for rejoicing, a day to remember and proclaim the goodness of our God and his power over death, the thing that we fear. And he didn't just rise from the dead like bedraggled and wounded and like he lost a step. No, he rose glorified. He was Uh, incorruptible forever. So, this is great hope for us. It's not like, well, good on him that he received that. No, this is a gift he's giving to all who trust in him. So, let's follow him. Let's learn of him. So, in Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, "'Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake.' For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. After the Jewish Sabbath, which goes from Friday evening to uh, Saturday evening, sundown Saturday at uh, the early day of... Sunday, so at dawn, two women, both named Mary, and neither one of them was uh, Mary his mother, it was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph, as we read in Mark 15 47, that they had observed where Jesus was laid and they came back to see the tomb. And on the way, they wondered what they were going to do, how they were going to open it, how they were going to actually be able to see the body of Christ. Um, but After Jesus died, the Pharisees, the ones who delivered Jesus to be executed, they came to Pilate and they said, Look, Pilate, Jesus, this deceiver, he claimed he would rise from the dead on the third day. And we don't want the disciples showing up and stealing the body and claiming that he's alive because the deception would be greater than the first. And uh, so Pilate agreed to satisfy their desires and he set a guard. A, a Roman soldiers to, who sealed the tomb, it was closed, and it was like a tamper-proof seal that if it was disturbed, you would know, and it was with grave uh, punishment should you touch that seal, because it was placed there on the authority of the Roman Empire. Now, before the women arrive, Matthew tells us there was this earthquake, and this angel descended from heaven. He broke the seal, he rolled the stone away, and he just sits on it. It's quite a scene. It shows the power and authority of God is far greater than that of man. And in the morning darkness, it said his face shone. His clothes were as white as snow. Now, these soldiers, they were trained to deal in warfare and with uh, mobs and uprisings, but not this glorious messenger of God. Have you ever seen a welder working um, where there's that bright light. They have a special mask that's able to shield their eyes and wear protective gloves because of the sparks that are flying and the slag that's falling. And it really hurts your eyes to look at it. You need to avert your eyes. And, uh, and it's like his face was like lightning. It was just this bright white light that you just couldn't stand to look at. And it's one thing when you've taken a torchlight or around firelight and you've made your face look a bit surreal and creepy, but it's like his face was the source of the light and it, it just freaked these guys out and they fell down. It said they shook for fear and fainted. They weren't playing dead. They didn't have enough sense to play dead because they became as dead men. They were insensible. They were unconscious without strength. Verse five, but the angel answered. And said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. The angel. He didn't utter a word to the soldiers. It said he just looked at them, but he spoke comforting words to the women. On the way, they were talking about how are we going to move this stone? It's huge, but the answer came most unexpectedly by this angel of the Lord moving it for them, sitting on top of it. And he says, don't be afraid. I know that you're coming to see Jesus who is crucified. He's not here for he has risen as he has said. And he invited them to come in and see the place where Jesus had laid. Notice the scripture never says Jesus needed the angel to move the stone so that he could leave. Like he's twiddling his thumbs and waiting in there for that angel to come so he can be released. No, the stone was not rolled away to to release Jesus, but to reveal to everyone else that the tomb was empty. There are the grave clothes. There's the head covering that's folded and lying by itself. He was resurrected, which is different, different than being resuscitated. See, he was not raised in the same form that he laid. He, he had been laid in that tomb, wrapped in those cloths, wounded and battered, his skin broken, swollen, and uh, he hardly resembled himself. Parts of his beard had been ripped out. He, he was a mess. They had cleaned him up, but he was a husk of his former self. But he rose not like that, not needing to tend to his wounds and scabbed or, or weak or needing to recover. There were marks that remained as a testimony to his sacrifice, on his hands, on his feet and in his side. And he bore those marks. And we read that he had a, after he rose from the dead, he had flesh and bones like we have, yet he could pass through walls. He could appear in the midst of a, a group of Christians behind locked doors and say, "Peace to you. He could eat. He could drink, but he didn't need to eat and drink to sustain his life. He didn't grow weary. He didn't need to sleep. He was on a completely new level, being glorified and incorruptible, not susceptible to fatigue, weakness, illness, or death, because he had overcome that through his great power. Now, the resurrection of Christ, that is the linchpin of Christianity and the gospel. And the resurrection is not fiction, it's not a fable. It's a historically verified fact. The significance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is awesome because it proves that Jesus successfully conquered death and it's sin that brings death. And Jesus had promised forgiveness to those who repent and who trust in him. It proves that Jesus can forgive sins through his atoning blood that was shed on Calvary and that we can be washed clean of our guilt and all of our shame, and we can be born again. It's not just wishful thinking, it's a reality. David Guzik, he wrote this in the Enduring Word Commentary, the cross was the payment, the resurrection, the receipt, proving that the payment was fully accepted. And I really like this analogy. When I buy something at the shops, I ask for a printed receipt, so I have a proof of purchase for my records. But of course, if you're buying something important that uh, might have a warranty or would allow you to claim that warranty, if it's a faulty product, you could return it, and because you have your receipt, you could return it to that store and get a replacement or get your money back. Businesses do not provide a proof of purchase unless you've paid in full. Christ's resurrection, it shows us that payment for sin went through. Have you ever used the tap and go and you tap and it says like pending, authorized? There's that little pause where you're wondering, did it go through? Do I have the funds in my account? I'm not really sure that like I may need to use another card because this one's getting towards the end. I need to reload it. Well, there's that pause between the tapping and going and there was a pause between Christ paying the price through his death on Calvary and God saying, yes, payment received in full. It's good. It's finished. You can be forgiven. You can have new life. You can be born again through the gospel. That is final. The transaction is done. The law of Moses required the shedding of blood of a clean sacrifice to atone for sin. That's to make a payment for. So God sent his son, the lamb of God, without blemish, to lay down his life as a sacrifice for us so that if we repent, we can be forgiven of our sin. And when we trust in him, we can be born again and be adopted into the family of God. That's beyond words, really, that we could be adopted into the family of God, be part of his kingdom, and have the blessings of calling God Father in reality. The angel told the women to go quickly, to tell the disciples that Jesus would go before them into Galilee, as he had said. On the night Jesus was betrayed in Matthew 26, 31 and 32, it tells us, then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus had not hid the fact that he was going to die and that he was going to rise from the dead and that he would meet them in Galilee. And he's confirming what he had already said. Now, the thing that really gets me here is where God said, I will strike the shepherd. See, this was all God's doing. It was part of his divine plan. They would stumble. They would scatter because God struck the shepherd. It was Satan entering Judas. The Pharisees were mad of envy. Uh, Pilate, he feared the people. The disciples, they fled and cowered um, behind locked doors. But it was ultimately God's work. God would redeem it. God would use it. The prophet said this concerning Jesus in Isaiah 53, 9 and 10. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Jesus overcame death with new life, the life that only God can give. And all who trust in him are God's adopted children by faith. The disciples could not imagine any good thing coming out of Jesus dying on the cross. But it fulfilled God's purposes. These women, it says, they left the tomb early with fear so quickly. They ran from the tomb um, with fear and great joy to tell this good news to the grieving disciples of Jesus. Now imagine if you had such good news to share. Wait, we don't need to imagine, do we? Because we, we have this message that Jesus is alive and there's hope for us that we don't have to be under condemnation for our sin. We don't have to spend eternity in hell, but we can know God today. We can receive his peace, his forgiveness and walk with him and know God, know the God who loves us, know the God who's given everything for us. And we can walk in the light of the gospel every day and proclaim it by our words and how we live. Matthew 28, verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. As they ran to do the thing God commanded them, Jesus met them on the way. It's no surprise that they were met by Jesus when they were going about his business. And this is a cool thing. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to spend time with Jesus, do the things Jesus has said. Follow his commands. Be loving one another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. And what does he say to them? Rejoice. The time for grieving was over. That season for mourning and sorrow, it was over because Jesus was alive. He had accomplished all that he had promised. And he said, celebrate with me. It's it's kind of like, you know, that that payment has been made. I think about when you pay off that car or if you've had the opportunity to actually pay off a mortgage. I haven't had that one yet. But, uh, or you graduate and it's like this long job is now over that big price has finally been paid. There was a sen- there's a sense of satisfaction, but imagine this is God who has, Jesus' whole life was pointing to this hour on Calvary and he said, it is finished. It is done. The price has been paid. And now we have new life through him Those who were destined to damnation are now been brought in, reconciled to God through him, redeemed through his new covenant. It's a time to celebrate. It's a time to rejoice. They held Jesus by the feet. It says they worshiped him and Jesus received that worship because he is worthy. If he had just been a man, if he was an angel, it would have been blasphemy for him to receive this worship. But he received it because he is God and he is worthy of it. He said, don't be afraid, go tell my brethren to go to Galilee. And Jesus isn't talking about his blood relatives here. These are disciples that he purchased, that he redeemed with his own blood. There was one time where Jesus was teaching and he was in a a group of people and uh, there were so many people in the room that his his mother and his brothers had come to visit him. And, And people relayed the message, hey, your mother and your brothers are here to see you. And this is how he answered them in Mark 3, through 35. It says, But he answered them saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Those who do the will of God, they are his Family. And he has empowered us to do that. The Bible, it plainly states the will of God. It's not some um, unknown. He, he makes it very clear. It's, it's God's will that we would hear Christ and believe on him whom the Father has sent. That it's God's will in everything we would give thanks. That we would pray. That we would stand perfect and complete in Christ. God's will, the Bible says, is not that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus called these disciples brethren, people who had forsaken him, people who had denied him. These are flawed people filled with doubts and confusion and fear. And I think people have disowned, like parents have disowned their children for less and children have written off their parents for less. But Jesus says, go tell my brethren. I want to talk with them. I want to um, express my love for them. And he chose these sinners to be his saints, those to, to fellowship with him and commune with him. And he opens his arms wide in love and forgiveness to all. He, and he doesn't even bring up their faults or their failures once they meet again. I love that. He, he commissioned Peter. He didn't talk about how Peter had failed. and No, he says, feed my sheep. You follow me. Man, praise the Lord that he treats us in like manner, that he would come to us, that he would speak to us, that he would give us an open invitation to be reconciled to God through his sacrifice, that we could be born again and changed in a way that this world cannot understand by his grace through faith. Matthew 28, verse 11. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. We're not told how many soldiers were guarding the tomb. It was likely at least a quaternion, which is four based upon this. It says some of the guard came. So that means more than one. And it means that there was at least more than one that was not there. And that would be the smallest amount, but it could have been more. Anyway, there were some of them who came to report to the chief priest what had happened. Now, this is very irregular. Roman soldiers, they do not report to subordinates, right? the fact is these soldiers did not want to report to their centurion or to their, uh, their commander in the Roman army that they had failed to adequately guard the tomb. If they were found to be negligent of guarding the tomb, they had allowed that seal to be broken and that stone rolled away, well, there would be severe punishment, possibly even death. So they spoke with the chief priests. They told them exactly what had happened. The Jews gathered together, the rulers there, and they discussed how to be on the same page, and they gave them a large sum of hush money, a bribe for them to say that the disciples came by night, stole the body while they slept. Now, during the night, it's very possible that there was always one of them sleeping. They would keep watching shifts. They weren't all up all the time, likely. And hey, they fainted as dead men at the sight of the angel. So it's not exactly lying, right? That they slept. Who knows? Maybe the body was stolen while they slept. Who's to say? So the soldiers are doing the Jews a favor by lying that the disciples had come and stolen the body. And the Jews would do the soldiers a favor by giving them money. And also, if word ever reached the governor, which they were not broadcasting this, if word ever reached his ears, that they would bribe him as well. They would make sure um, they would appease him. Acts 24, it tells us the, government, the governor Felix, he uh, looked for a bribe. And so it was not uncommon that people could be bought um, the soldiers took the money. It says they spoke the words the chief priests and scribes put in their mouth. Matthew, the author, it says that they, this was repeated even unto this day. So when these words were written, I don't know, sometime in 60 or 70 AD, uh, that was still talked about. Now this lie, it was as thin as paper money. It didn't solve any of the problems because why would the soldiers admit openly to all sleeping when they would be punished for it, perhaps even executed. And if they were actually sleeping, how would they know who took the body? Right? How could they know? They were all sleeping. And who exactly were the guilty disciples? What did they look like? Who were they? The ones that were locked behind closed doors for fear of the Jews? And why was the body unwrapped? Why would you unwrap the body, this badly decomposing body? And, how, and where was it transported? Where was it hidden? And if Jesus remained dead and all the disciples who stole the corpse knew that, why would they be willing to uh, suffer torture and persecution and death for the Christ they professed to be alive? And how do you ignore the evidence of the empty tomb and the hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw Jesus over the next 40 days? The people in Galilee and in Jerusalem. Paul testified before Festus in Acts 26 how the prophets testified the Messiah would suffer, that he would die and rise from the dead, and that these things had not happened in a corner. This was not in some obscure place. This happened in Jerusalem under Roman authority and rule. It wasn't in a galaxy far, far away. It was decades ago at a prominent city that was overseen by Romans where you had living eyewitnesses that could be interviewed and followed up with. To me, this passage illustrates well the folly of unbelief. You have the Pharisees who taunted Christ about, and and remembered that he said he would rise from the dead. And here you have very, these are neutral. These are not, these are, these, these uh, Roman soldiers were not loyal to Jesus in any way. And yet they come on the third day saying, we just saw an angelic being, come down. His face was like lightning. He just rolled the stone and sat on it. We woke up. The body is, there's no body. The grave clothes are there. What do we do? They hear this and they go, okay, guys, let's get together. Let's get on the same page. Let's pay these guys out. They don't accuse them of negligence or wrongdoing because they would have gone to their superiors and told them, right? They would have ratted them out happily if they believed that they had actually lied or they had been negligent. To save face, the Pharisees decided the best course of action was to lie about it. Since the infancy of the gospel, people have chosen not to trust in Christ, to not not, not allow the message of the resurrection of Christ to impact them in any way. They may believe that Jesus was a person. But when it comes to the resurrection, they just, oh, that's kind of a weird story. The Pharisees preferred speaking lies over repentance of their unbelief and placing their faith in Christ and following him, who is the way, the truth, and the life. What is all the comfort? What's the comfort of all the money in the world when you're living a lie? When you know the truth, how about you? In light of the evidence, will you believe? Will you profess that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, and he's alive, and we can know God through him? Romans 10, 8, and 9, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is, The word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The soldiers, they saved their skins. The Pharisees, they saved face. But all souls who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved, saved from wrath, saved from hell, and saved for fellowship with God and for eternal life in heaven with him forever. Amen matthew twenty eight sixteen then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always." even to the end of the age. Amen. After Jesus appeared to the women, he also appeared to uh, disciples as they walked the road to Emmaus. He appeared to the disciples in Jerusalem as they hid behind locked doors. And ultimately he did meet with his 11 apostles at the appointed place in Galilee. And it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him but some doubted the gospel of john reports that thomas especially was very skeptical because he had not been with the disciples when jesus appeared to them in jerusalem and he said unless i see those wounds unless i put my finger into those scars on his hands and into his side i'm not going to believe and jesus graciously did appear to him and he did show him uh, that he had was alive and he says hey examine my wounds Be not faithless, but believing. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. Verse 17, it's such a microcosm of the Christian experience. The same one that can believe that Jesus is the Son of God can have doubts because of the circumstances or the pains or the unexpected situations or seasons of life that we face. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, we believe that he rose from the dead, but we can be overwhelmed by the things life throws at us and the things we experience and the feelings that we have. We can be like Peter who said, Lord, if that's you, call me to come out to you on the water and I will. And Jesus says, come. And Peter steps out of the boat, takes a step, and then notices the wind and the waves and he begins to sink. And he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus says, you, why, where is your faith? Why did you doubt? As if Jesus would allow him to perish when he had called him to himself. And sometimes we think that it's all over. But no, not with Jesus. Everything is new because we're new creations through him. Jesus said in John 3, 14 through 17, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus graciously came to and addressed those worshiping, doubting people, and he gave them what's called the Great Commission. This commission begins in verse 18 on the basis of who Jesus is and the authority he's received from the Father. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is before all things. He's created all things. By him, all things consist. uh, And because he's alive and the head of the church, his body, he will sustain us. He will provide for all of our needs He's the firstborn of the dead, and we know that because he is risen, we will be raised together with him someday. This is the assurance we have in Christ. So having all authority in heaven and earth, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So followers of Jesus were to go out to make disciples of all the nations. Uh, And it infers that we need to be disciples ourselves. Jesus does not ask for converts. He's not asking for commitments. He's asking for us to follow him and to teach others to follow him, that they may know him, be in his word, um, trusting and obeying him. And not one of us deserves to be called, to be saved, to be forgiven, And that's a free gift we receive by the grace of God through faith. So it's an identification with Jesus that we baptize with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Following Jesus is so much more than just a commitment or a decision made at one point, but a daily decision to follow Jesus and to trust him, to be born again by faith, to love one another as he loves us, to forgive like he has forgiven us, to serve one another. He says, as you have freely received, freely give. So to be generous with our lives, to be teaching the word, to be walking in light of it, to be praying and proclaiming his death till he comes. And if he was dead, that would be nothing to celebrate, but he is alive and he's coming. He's coming to judge the earth in righteousness. And so he's called for us to repent and to lead others to repentance through Christ. And then Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, just go out. He says, because usually if I'm at home and I go, I'm away from home. Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations. And he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you now, wherever you are, and I'll be with you wherever I lead you. Wherever you go, there I am. And if anyone else said this, it would be empty words. It would be just poetic sentiment without reality. But because Jesus is alive forever, because he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, because he sent the Holy Spirit to fill us, the presence of God is with us all the time. Jesus will always be with us, even after this life on earth ends and we're in the presence of God forever, when this earth dissolves and the eternal state begins. Now, if you notice... He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's that amen. That's Matthew tacking on, saying, Yes, absolutely, so be it. That means firm, trustworthy. This is a man that Jesus called while he was at work in the tax office. Jesus walks up and says to him, Follow me. Matthew, it says, rose up, left all, and followed him. And he left this lucrative career this huge financial investment and payoff and security and all the things that we, we long for in this world. But he left it for something infinitely better, to be in the presence of his creator, his savior and Messiah, Jesus Christ. He was one of those 11 disciples who met with Jesus in Galilee, who saw Jesus after his resurrection, who witnessed his ascension to heaven, was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, And he suffered persecution for following and proclaiming Jesus. Matthew wasn't disappointed for leaving his post, for leaving that money on the table, because he found something infinitely more satisfying and fulfilling in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was his life. And all that time, even though when this was being written, Jesus was in the presence of the Father in heaven, interceding on his behalf. Jesus had never left him. He had never left him alone. He knew it was true. So we know Jesus will never leave or forsake us. We may feel alone. We may feel like life is too hard and it's not even worth it to follow Christ. But look, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Now, may our living Savior raise up a level of new appreciation and faith and love of God for all that he's done for you, because he loves you and he loves me, so undeserving. And yet he loves us and he calls us and he says, rejoice to follow me and to proclaim his goodness. And may we do that now and forever. How good it is to have a Savior who's alive who is wisdom for us, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. All good things that he has given us of his grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to be our Savior. Thank you that his work on the cross has atoned for our sins and that we, when we repent and trust in you, believing you give us new life, we can be born again into your family where we can know you forever to know your embrace, to know that we are accepted and chosen and called and that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, to that we say, amen. We celebrate, we proclaim, and we rejoice this day that you are risen and you are King and Lord of all. And Lord, may we never um, live a lie. May we never live in hypocrisy that we know the truth and we're not living in light of it, but that we would follow you, we would trust you, and we would proclaim you, making disciples of all nations, being disciples ourselves, and then teaching others to obey you and to follow you. Lord, may you be honored and glorified in your church now and forever. Amen.